The Athletic. Totally Football Show, European edition. Today, ahead of the midweek Champions League action, we're talking De Classica. Modest, is he overdressed? Xavi Alonso, is he? And who's being a grumps now at PSG? Brugge Knights and Brahim the Dream for Milan. It's a bumper edition of the Totally Football Show. Tuesday, the 11th of October. Listener, you join uh, me uh, with my continental pals, James Horncastle, Julian Laurence, Alvaro Romeo, and Raphael Honigstein. Hello, everyone. Bonjour. Hello. Mm. Hello. Bon right. dia. There's some big things to talk about from the weekend. It's the usual story. Big things from the midweek as well. We've got match day four in Champions League with some teams poised to sew up qualification. Napoli, Bayern, Real Madrid, Man City, Bruges. Bruges? That's right. Christophe Tourer joining us a little bit later to tell us all about the miracle workers out of Belgium. But, uh, yeah, should we start with the round of moment of the weekend? James. The winning goal at the Stadio Olimpico on Sunday night, James, should have been a moment of celebration for Roma, for Paolo Di Bala. But in taking the penalty, Di Bala felt something twitch in his thigh. And uh, Jose Mourinho said afterwards, having immediately replaced him, that, uh, you know, I'm going to tell you it's a bad injury, but it's actually a really bad injury. Um, and you know it looks like Dybala will not play for Roma again until the turn of the year and I mean he wasn't part of Argentina's Copa America winning squad he's been back in their sort of pre-World Cup warm-ups but didn't play and you wonder now uh, will he be fit enough um, to to get a place in the in the final 26 for Argentina so after such a great kind of renaissance to his career in Rome. Um, just a, a familiar uh, blow uh, mm. for La Jolla um, in, in, in the Eternal City. Yeah, pretty big blow for Roma as well. Alvaro. This is a little bit of a tribute to goalkeepers, uh, starting by, you have never heard of this guy, I suppose, but uh, Jose Antonio Caro, he uh, broke... Uh, the best start of the season for a goalkeeper in Spanish professional football. Uh, he's been unbeaten in 810 minutes. But I would like to link this story, which is a record in Spanish football, with Jan Oblak and Ter Stegen, because these two goalkeepers were superlative in the games against the Celta for Barcelona and against Girona for Atletico. And Jan Oblak's saves, especially two of them to Alex Garcia, they were fantastic, beautiful. He was flying to the left post just to deny Alex Garcia. And the player from Girona couldn't even believe it. I mean, it's funny to see his face after Jan Oblak did the second identical save to the first one, just to deny the Girona player. Well, I think that this is a tribute to goalkeepers because in Spain we have very, very good ones. And Jan Oblak was for me the goalkeeper of the weekend and uh, he deserved the moment of the weekend as well. Wow, OK, he'll be facing the mighty Bruges on Wednesday, if selected. Jules! The ball fraud finally is gone. PB, I don't even want to say his name. The other Dutch guy, gone, finally, five Jules. games without a win. Jules, why, why, this, why this ill feeling towards Peter Bosch? 
Because he's he rubbish. Him. He's rubbish. He's been <laughs> rubbish for a long time. He's rubbish. I mean, Alexandre Lacazette called him out live on French television on Friday night, mm. saying like, basically, we don't understand anything he does. You know, when we say he's lost his dress. But you're friends with Lacazette, so you put him up to that, Jules. It's, Maybe it, this I is I your agenda. But pushing. still, I'm so glad he's gone. I mean, right. I can't wait for him. Holland to, to knock out France in these Euro qualifiers. This is in what's going to happen, isn't yeah. it? Well, just it's just focus on your new country, Brazil. Uh, <laughs> and they replaced him by Laurent Blanc, the, the president, of course, who had been unemployed for six years. I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. He had a lot of time to play golf. <laughs> but <laughs> but we'll, have, we'll, have, we'll know soon if he can rescue the season or not. Okay. More dramatic news from Liga. Uh, very soon. But Rafa, your moment of the week, stroke weekend? Can only be one, James. Anthony Modeste, 96 minute equaliser. Modeste of all people, finding the net to give Dortmund a 2-2 draw against Bayern, which felt like a win for them and a defeat for Bayern. And has made for lots of memes with Oliver Kahn slumping in his chair in the VIP section. You were the and same on your of, sofa. Uh, you were the same on your sofa. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and lots of uh, uh, little rhymes like mm-hmm. uh, who goes to training overdressed Anthony oh, Modest, Anthony Modest. Right. Yes. Why, yes why is he overdressed um, I don't know why but there's a whole sort of uh, little uh, I guess he wears nice clothes but um, there's there's a lot of these little what are they little rhymes I guess yeah, best way to put them. Yeah, little rhymes. Uh, do, do any of them make? Rounds. Do they have any kind of reference to something topical, or are they just kind of? They're just like vehicles to wind up buying supporters wow. on on social media. German sense of humor, but, legendary. Yeah, indeed. But yeah, wow. I mean, I'm sure we'll talk about this game a little bit more. All right, more. no, you know what? Let's do that right now. This is the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Und noch einmal der BVB. Adeyemi geht ins Dribbling. Adeyemi. Kommt Schlotterbeck dran, er hält den Ball im Spiel. Schlotterbeck, Tor, Tor, Modest, Toni Modest, Dortmund explodiert. Der Signal Iduna Park explodiert. Well, yeah, there you are. And I'm sure you can picture it, listener. You got uh, with the yellow wall going absolutely crazy. And Oliver Kahn in the posh sheets, as you say, Rafa raging, raging, and then slumping forward. A beaten man, his Bayern only drawing, but they who had been on an eight-match winning streak against Dortmund, they who had been 2-0 up with 16 minutes to go, only coming away with a point, thanks to Anthony Modest's header, really, in the, the last second of the game. What, what went wrong for Bayern? What went right for Terzic and, and Borussia Dortmund? Well, Terzic gambled. Terzic uh, rolled the dice late on. They brought uh, he brought on Modest as a second forward next to Yusuf Mukoku. He brought on Karamadiemi as a winger. So he played a four four two, which at times was almost a four two four, and really had a goal and got the breaks. Adiemi made an assist for the first goal for Dortmund uh, for Mukoku, and then Bayern lost Kingsley Coman to a, a second yellow. And then with all the momentum and the atmosphere and, and Bayern being deeper and deeper and more disorganized because of some changes that they had to make defensively, they had to change around three of the four players in the starting four, uh, back four, Dortmund found a way of doing it. I mean, there was a degree of, of misfortune, if you will, about Bayern 
throwing it away a little bit. They had chances to to make it three and kill the game. They missed them. Uh, Mane especially had a really good one. They had injuries at the back with uh, Matthias de Ligt coming off with a groin injury. Before that, Jude Bellingham kicked off onto Davis in the face. It was an accident, but could have easily been a second yellow. Uh, but no, he was allowed to continue, but Alfonso Davis couldn't. Um, he was uh, brought off with a suspected concussion and uh, has actually got some bruising to his head. And all these little things sort of combined for Bayern to lose their way a little bit. But of course, when you're Bayern, you don't believe in, in bad luck. You don't believe in things conspiring against you. You feel that you should always have an answer. You should always be strong enough to compensate for little misadventures and once again the spotlight is on Julian Nagelsmann because um, Bayern are underachieving and there's no denying that the, re the results have been four out of the last six games in the league they've only won one which uh, really for Bayern is, is nowhere near acceptable and there's the suspicion which I would suggest he would share that he's not getting the best out of this squad mm. and people are wondering why and Karl-Heinz Rummenigge the former Bayern CEO reheated that big debate about Nagelsmann perhaps still being a little bit immature being still learning on the job by saying well he is undoubtedly a great coaching talent which uh, is slightly poisonous compliment and Nagelsmann was a little bit I think careless in answering, he should have just ignored it. But he said, well, too many people are saying that, hmm. that I'm a coaching talent. And he was quite sort of uh, annoyed by that. And I don't think that everything is, is going according to plan there. Right. And the relationship between him and, and the team. And I don't know if that's an explanation, but it certainly adds to the sense of unease that exists in Munich at the moment. Well, as you say, one win in six in the league. They lie third. They're four points off the lead. There is that sense with Bayern that they win the title anyway, so they can afford to have a, a blip at some point of the season. But at what point would they start to genuinely worry about this Bundesliga campaign? I think it'll, it'll take more bad results in the league for them to start really worrying. They're lucky because there's no other team that's pulling away. Yes, Union Berlin are first but they don't really consider them serious title candidates. Dortmund have their own problems. Leverkusen are only just beginning to maybe re-emerge from the doldrums and the new management. So there isn't that immediate pressure on what happens in the league. And as long as the Champions League results stay good, and of course we discussed this, they got lucky against Barcelona, but still they have a perfect record and could qualify as early as this week for the next round, then that buys them a bit of time, buys Nagelsmann a bit of time. I don't think any real situation of danger will arise before the World Cup. And that means actually another three months before football starts again, because Germany mm. will have a winter break until the end of January. So there will be time for things to gel and for him to figure out a few things. I think the worry is more about this idea that he might not be the long-term solution. You know, they gave him a five-year deal thinking he is the guy that will dominate a new era at Bayern, a real long-term manager with long-term success. And I think that's where the biggest question mark is. He's, there's no chance that they will fire him anytime soon, mm. in my view. But whether he is the right guy really taking this team forward, these are the doubts that have started to creep in. 
Well, next weekend, intriguingly, the top four in the Bundesliga face each other. Bayern will be up against second place Freiburg, while Dortmund take on Union Berlin, who won at Stuttgart this weekend and are two points clear. Union with back-to-back wins, actually, because they'd also beaten Malmo in the Europa League before that. Meantime, you mentioned coaching changes, new management at Bayer Leverkusen. Hoo-hoo! Xavi Alonso coming in and enjoying for his debut a 4-0 victory, admittedly over Schalke, but still... Rafa. Well, Schalke and Ulfir have their name for ah. a reason. But uh, no, it was a great team to play in your first game as a manager for Leverkusen. But Leverkusen had been very poor, of course. That's why they were in seventh. And that's why Xabi Alonso got this job perhaps a little bit earlier than anyone would have anticipated. But he's made such a good impression. Uh, as you know, James, he is always perfectly dressed, really well spoken, many different languages, comes across with a natural authority. I think made a real impression on the dressing room. And he yeah, changed the system a little little bit, played with three centre-backs, played with a lot of width, effectively wide players um, doubling up on the flanks. And against Schalke, that was, they just had too much. Uh, I don't think they actually played all that well, but they had a lot of space. Musa Diaby came back to form. He's been a little bit underwhelming this season, but we saw once again how good a player he is. And Jeremy Fringpong had a, had a really good game as well. And I think it's going to be really exciting to see what Xabi Alonso can do because the unusual thing with him is, with his reputation preceding him and all the amazing coaches he's worked with and having even as a player been already sort of talked about about a future coach in big clubs, everyone's looking at this first big job of his to see how, just how good he is and how quickly he can establish himself. And even Bayern... I think are looking at him thinking, you know, one day maybe because he was already in a conversation a couple of years ago when he hadn't had any uh, reasonable experience because they respect him and, and liked him so much. So one to watch, definitely. And another reason to watch a lot of Bundesliga games. Has it already been dubbed Chabby Ball or something like that? Uh, we're surely only a few few games away from Chabby Ball or something like that. Yeah, I mean, if they can beat Porto this week in the Champions League, mm. I think, then Shabby Ball might might arise, James. But make sure you get it trademarked first. Uh, well, uh, they are taking on Porto. They're at home. That's on Wednesday. Porto have had three wins in a row in all competitions. So uh, Leverkusen, Porto and Atletico Madrid are all level on three points in this Champions League group. Six points behind the runaway leaders, who are Bruges. We'll be hearing about them very, very shortly. Uh, that Schalke win, by the way, for Xavi, was the biggest Bundesliga victory ever by a, a Leverkusen manager in their first game in charge. Woo! Elsewhere in Europe, lots of other German sides in action. You've got Dortmund taking on Sevilla. Bayern against Pilsen. Pilseny. RB Leipzig, apparently. RB Leipzig are at Celtic. And Frankfurt visits Spurs. Mm. Leipzig at Celtic. Frankfurt at Spurs. What do you think, Raf? Well, I would have backed Frankfurt to get a good result, but I had this horrible game against Bochum, the worst team in the league, where they were roundly beaten and just didn't quite look ready. Whether that is sort of the classic Champions League effect when you have Spurs twice and then Bochum in the middle, you think, yeah, it's Bochum. And you just kind of play with a bit of lack of focus or lack of energy. I'm not sure, but not ideal preparation. They played well enough in the first leg, I thought, on the first game against Spurs to causing problems um, hmm. I think it'd be it'd be interesting they're, they're not an easy side to beat 
<laughs> the Bochum result notwithstanding. So it should, should be another, yeah, should be another interesting game. And uh, I'll be Leipzig at Celtic, who absolutely must win that game. Yeah, Leipzig looked good against Celtic, um, but they didn't look so good against Mainz. Perhaps they were a little bit unlucky with one or two refereeing decisions. They only drew 1-1. But if they can get over the impact of the atmosphere and the crowd and, and sort of settle down and play their own game, with Celtic going for it, I think playing on the break, it's what they do best, what they really enjoy. So I still think that there's a good chance that they'll win this game as well. Mm, all right. Now, uh, curiously enough, the next weekend in Spain, the top four are also facing each other. Let's talk La Liga next. If you're into your tactics and football analytics and you're looking for a deeper understanding of the game, you can join me, Ali Maxwell, along with Michael Cox and the rest of the Athletics data team for our Football Tactics podcast. Find new episodes every week on Apple, Spotify and all the usual places. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This is the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. The Athletic is the only place you can read articles by Daniel Taylor, Amy Lawrence, Phil Hay, James Pierce, Ollie Kay, and the very best football writers around. Alvaro! First of all, Jorge Sampaoli is back at Sevilla. And how did it go? His first game back in charge. It went okay. It went okay. Um, Sevilla got a draw against Athletic Club Bilbao. It all started well for San Paoli because in the fourth minute, Oliver Torres scored for Sevilla. And from that point, well, they tried to keep the lead. At the end, they couldn't because Vesga uh, got the equalizer for Athletic Club Bilbao. But uh, to be honest with you, I didn't uh, spot any any new patterns in Sevilla, really. It's still difficult for San Paoli, of course, because he's been there for two days only. Mm. It was a little bit of uh, too, too broadcasted, in my opinion, all the Lopetegui departure and San Paoli arrival. I mean, with Sevilla just uh, uploading to their social media accounts this farewell speech and the welcome speech of San Paoli, the farewell speech of Lopetegui and the welcome speech of San Paoli. But anyway, I think that uh, San Paoli has encountered a side uh, that is very different to the to the side he found in 2016. Uh, the squad is not as good, that's for sure. And uh, it's got many many players out as well, especially in central defense. All that said, Sevilla needed um, a point or at least needed to give a good impression. And uh, they gave it against Athletic Club Bilbao, that's for sure. But now a bigger opponent is coming, Borussia Dortmund and Sevilla. When they go to Europe lately, they are suffering with the pace of European football. Mm. All right, well, in the meantime, they've dropped into the bottom three now with that draw in La Liga. Up at the other end, the top two, Barcelona and Real Madrid, both have 1-0 wins this weekend, ahead of next weekend's clash between them. That's right, the Clasico coming up. And the teams in third and fourth, Athletic Bilbao, Athletic Club de Bilbao, and Atletico Madrid also will be facing off. 
Crikey. But before that, a busy midweek. Real at Shakhtar. Real looking good on nine points in their group. Barcelona, though, in third place in their group. And after all the levers they've been pulling, missing out on qualifying for a second straight season would not be a good idea. That would be catastrophic uh, financially for the reputation of the side, uh, just to pitch new sponsors. Even for the players' morale as well, uh, two seasons in a row, not going through the group stage. So that's why I think that uh, any any thought um, that uh, doesn't stop in uh, the game against Milan, for Inter first, and then uh, thinks about El Clásico, but any thought that goes beyond this game against Inter will be will be wrong because Barcelona really needs to win this game. I mean, the other day against Inter and against Celta as well, they saw many concerning patterns. It's like every improvement that you see in Barcelona every now and then doesn't consolidate. It's like you get uh, you get back to the start after two months again and um, suddenly you are in the same spot you were in October 2021 when Barcelona was incapable of dominating the games and against Celta that happened. And against Inter Milan... I mean, let's let's speak speak the truth. I mean, Barcelona didn't have a game plan. Inter had a much better one. The game plan for Barcelona was to give the ball to Osman Dembélé, uh, who crossed the ball many times into the box, but uh, he never found Lewandowski. And uh, Inter had a better plan, just coming out in the counter-attack, attacking the box any time. They had the chance to uh, get Barcelona on the break. And they, I think that they deserve that goal they, they got. And then, yes, there was a controversial decision in the box as well that didn't go Barcelona's way. But Barcelona's problems are way deeper than that. Uh, Celta, for example, in the second half against Barcelona, they should have scored two or three. But uh, Ter Stegen was phenomenal. He, he was a colossus in front of Diago Aspas. What do you make of uh, Lewandowski blanking in two straight Champions League games now? I know you you pointed to the the unpredictability of, of Dembele's service. Yes, I think that you know Dembele didn't give too many good crosses to Dembele at uh, Milan. That's for sure. But uh, I think that the problem with Lewandowski is uh, the lack of supply. I mean, against the Celta, he he didn't get many passes. Against Inter, he didn't get many passes either. Against Bayern, however, it's true that he got two clear-cut chances and he couldn't score. But I wouldn't blame Lewandowski. I would blame the system itself. They are not finding Lewandowski. And there is another thing that Barcelona actually doesn't have, which is like good scorers apart from Lewandowski. Uh, if you see their their lineup, their preferred lineup, the best possible lineup with Rafinha, Dembélé and Lewandowski up front, those players don't score many goals apart from Lewandowski. So uh, the other day it was... Someone else who could score was needed. As soon as Sansu Fati came onto the pitch, you could see that at least there was another threat on, in the box. And in fact, every controversial action was Ansu Fati was involved in it because he went for the header, he went for the volley. Uh, but Rafinha and Dembélé don't do that. And that uh, makes Barcelona less prolific. So I think that Xavi will have to think a little bit about uh, staffing the, the field with wingers because actually these wingers, they are not making the difference yet. So Barcelona may, maybe needs uh, some other scoring targets apart from Lewandowski. Someone who can actually get into the box and score. And that's why it was so refreshing to see Pedri scoring against Celta. Mm. All right. Inter, uh, their opponents on Wednesday were one, well, sorry, two one winners at Sassuolo at the weekend. James Avro was mentioning the controversial handball call uh, midweek, uh, last midweek between Inter and Barcelona. Uh, what do you think of Inter's prospects? Were they fortunate at San Siro? And, and, and do you think they can finish the job in Catalonia? <laughs> I think they were quite fortunate um, because yeah, that decision should have gone against them uh, rather than for them. 
And sometimes, you know, that's what you need when you're a, a manager under pressure. Um, yeah, you don't need necessarily a, a sparkling performance. You just need to get the right result. And, and, and that's what, what Inter did. I think they played with a kind of attitude and a spirit that they they haven't really this season. I think one of the criticisms of Inter is that, yeah, the players are kind of quite irascible. You know, if, if they misplace a pass, they have a go at their fellow teammates. Um, you know, when things go against them, their heads go down. And instead, in this game, they really played together. Um, they dug deep um, and, you know, they, they were able to see it out. I think there were kind of a couple of reasons for that okay Onana coming in for Sami Handanovic Onana was yeah maybe a little bit lucky on the disallowed goal uh, for Pedri um, that um, you know he wasn't punished uh, for, for coming for, for, for that cross uh, up until that point he made some good saves and then Stefan de Vrij, one of the centre-backs who's been kind of criticised at Inter he's, you know, people think he's too old he's passed it de Vrij shows that you know he's still capable of putting in really good performances, and I thought I thought he dealt with Robert Lewandowski so well that Lewandowski you could be forgiven for thinking he wasn't even on the pitch. Um, so can they do it again? I mean they've got certain recent experience of going to 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 the Camp Nou and playing well, um, but not lasting. You know I think you've remarked James after or during. Uh, Inter's win against Barcelona that it won't be the first time that they've taken the lead and they've thrown it away this season that's something that they did at uh, the Camp Nou a few years ago under Conte they played really well for an hour got in front early through Lautaro but they're going to have to put in another kind of gutsy performance it's 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 a different Inter from the one that we saw in the Champions League last year which looked to go toe-to-toe and outplay their opponent this one instead looks to kind of grind out results hmm. I can see James Inter playing for the draw I think that the draw could be kind of good enough for them, really. Because he will leave Barcelona still at a decent distance. And uh, the other day, uh, Inter defended so well. And then with Chalanoglu just launching the counter-attacks and all that, that plan worked very well. And if you throw any long ball to Eric Garcia and Piqué, all due respect to Eric Garcia, but he doubts a lot. And Piqué normally has to um, basically help him a lot. Both these two are going to play together uh, as Barcelona centre-backs. So this defence is not the perfect one either. So if you go on the break, you can catch them. Mm, well, absolutely huge game coming up for Barcelona's season then on Wednesday. Uh, also in Champions League action, Atletico Madrid, who are taking on Bruges. Uh, Atletico Madrid, they had a 2-1 win against uh, Girona. What kind of form are they in there ahead of this uh, clash with the the Belgian champs? Uh, look, they with their win, they are fourth in La Liga, which is more or less where they, they belong over the last 10 years. Uh, I wouldn't say that they have been flashy, not at all. In fact, many of their games are very boring. Very boring. For example, the other day they started winning with a goal from Correa, a beautiful goal by Correa. Probably one of those um, undervalued players by the fans, not by Simeone. But Correa is always there, and maybe the expectations are lower on him, and that's why it's so unexpected to see him performing very well. But they scored one goal, fourth minute. Atletico was, was vibrant at that moment, and suddenly they just slow down, and they prefer to keep the one nil than going for another one. Atletico fans don't mind, don't mind. That's the difference between Real Madrid fans, Barcelona fans, and Atletico fans. Some Atletico fans are dissidents, and they tell you, I don't like this, but it's not a general general uh, mood in the um, in the ground and I think that Atletico de Madrid they are fine right now in La Liga I mean numbers wise they are not too far from the from the um, top of the table but in the Champions League they are very far from being uh, a European force I mean 
when in 2017 they didn't negotiate the group stage, that wasn't an exception. That wasn't an accident. It set the tone for the next of the seasons. Atletico is suffering a lot to negotiate the group stage as of late. Uh, last season, for example, they needed to go to Porto and win, and they won in that way uh, with a red card to a Porto player, and Atletico suffered a lot. And this season they are going to suffer again, and I think that their group is not so difficult against Brugge in the um, reverse fixture. They played well, in my opinion. Uh, They should have scored more goals, but at the same time, the defensive frailties were there. Well, this time, I think that Atletico has to put a shift. Otherwise, basically, they are going to be uh, hanging from the cliff. And I think that they could be out of the Champions League in uh, match day five, really. Wow. They're currently lying bottom of the group, but level on points with Leverkusen and Porto. As I mentioned before, six points behind. Bruges, who beat them 2-0 last week. How are the remarkable Bruges doing all of this? Well, next up, we're joined by Christophe Tourer. This episode is supported by FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the team's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher league. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenge and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. All new Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. On Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Smart Speaker, and now ad-free on the Athletic. This is the Totally Football Show with James Richardson. All right, we're joined now by Christoph Terreur, uh, and Alvaro has a question for you, Christoph. Is it, is it Bruce or Brugge? Because I heard Brugge many times. It's, it's, it's in, the, in the Flemish part of, of, of Belgium, everybody says Brugge. Brugge, like, yeah, Br- I, I don't Brugge. know. Brugge, Brugge, Brugge. Or in the local dialect is Brahe with the H-H-E. So Brahe, Brahe. Well, that confuses things enormously. <laughs> yeah. <Christoph>. Yes. <laughs> yes. Okay. Uh, Brugge Knights. That's what's uh, awaiting us in the Champions League. It's been extraordinary. They are the first Belgian team, Christophe, ever to win their first three group stage games. Uh, They and Real Madrid this season are the only teams yet to concede. Are people in Belgium, and particularly in Brugge, as surprised as the rest of us? Well, we are a bit surprised by it because, yeah, nobody expected this. They have been only close to qualifying uh, for for next round like in yeah three years ago i think when they uh, they missed out on yeah it was a kick from charlotte de ketelaren against the crossbar uh, that was that was the only time they were close to qualifying for european football uh, after new year but this nobody expected it because they've lost their best player charlotte de ketelaren to 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 AC milan basically and yeah they've build a completely new squad if you compare their squad now with the squad that was playing last season there are not many players left besides uh, Simon Mignolet who everybody still know from uh, from Liverpool who's having a great year and is having a great Champions League campaign and Hans van Aken who was uh, close to, to signing West Ham uh, uh, this summer he wanted to go to West Ham basically but they didn't pay enough to Bruce that's why they didn't let him go but it's a completely different team than last season and they have a new manager basically one is only for like four months uh, as a head coach in charge he was an assistant before so it's all new and all a bit unexpected right well they they beat Leverkusen on match day one and 
Leverkusen keeper had a, a big part to play in that. But then they went to Porto and won 4-0 there. And then last time out, as I mentioned, a 2-0 victory at home to Atletico Madrid. This was a this is a club who whose last four games before this season in the Champions League had seen them conceding at least four goals every time. So how are they doing it? Well, it's I think it's a bit of momentum that uh, is there too. Like after the first game that you get a bit of hope. They're defensively really solid. That helps. They have a good goalkeeper with Mignolet who saved them in all of those games. He made important saves. I think he's already made like 12 saves in the Champions League. But they were all decisive. They were not world-class saves, but they were all at decisive moments. And they score from a few chances. I think like uh, their striker, Jutkla, uh, who comes from, from Barcelona, was like one of the backup players at Barcelona. He scored like four goals out of five uh, shots on target or something. So they are very efficient too. And we sometimes think, will it last? There will be a point that they won't uh, be as, uh, as efficient as they are now. But yeah, once you have the momentum, like for instance, Leicester in, uh, in 2015-16, it keeps on rolling and they keep on surprising us every time. But after every European game, they lose in the Belgian league, then they lose to Westerlo, for, for instance, uh, a small team that just promoted to the, to the Jupiler Pro League. So that puts it all into context and maybe they also have the luck that Leverkusen were, were in a crisis. They've changed their manager now with, with Xabi Alonso in charge. Atletico not performing well and Porto not doing really well in the, in the Portuguese league too. So it might be uh, a consequence of all those things with a solid and experienced team in, 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 as Bruges at the moment. All right. Well, they did go to Porto and win 4-0 there, which suggests that there was more than just luck at play. What do you think? Can they keep the run going in Madrid? Uh, it's a difficult one. And, and Atletico are not the team to score many goals. But, yeah, if they lose one, it will be this. But I think they will go through the, to the next round. That's uh, what everybody is now expecting, expecting in Belgium. So uh, they will have a tough game because Atletico could have scored a few goals last week too although the chances, the chances that they created weren't great uh, Mignolet hasn't done any world class saves in my eyes it were just good saves but when they come under pressure like for instance if they if Atletico have looked at what Westerlo did this week probably they will have done they have weaknesses in the in the team too but of course Champions League for Bruges is different in the Belgian league everybody expects them to make the to make the game to to have possession and stuff like that in the Champions League they are still the underdog so uh, they can play that underdog game and that's a completely different mindset I think where they go into the Champions League as we've won now but we're still the underdog nothing uh, is expected of us we just have to go and enjoy and the Belgian league they have to perform everybody expect the champions to be at that top every single week so that's the difference so I think they might lose the game against Atletico, to be fair, but they might surprise us again with one or two counter-attacks and youth class scoring or their, their, their winger scoring a goal. We, we, he's, he's been brilliant too. Uh, Kamel Soa, he, he used to be uh, on Leicester's books and then he was loaned out to, to a Belgian club and played 
paid 9 million for him last season. He wasn't performing at all. They loaned him out to, to uh, Dutch AZ and now suddenly he's there again and, and performing and doing well in the Champions League, but not that well in the Belgian League. So there's a huge difference between the Bruges that you see Champions League and the one you see in the Belgian League. Christoph, that's, that's brilliant. Uh, thank you so much for that. I mean, we'll see what happens at the Civitas Metropolitana. Atletico Madrid have only won one of their last nine home games in the Champions League. Only one of nine. Incredible. So, yeah, yeah. could be on. And they haven't won two games in a row in the group stage for three years now. That I'm telling you, they are no longer a power force in Europe. They have to fight as much as anyone else. Wow, remarkable. All right, well, that game's kicking off at 5.45 on Wednesday. Christoph, thank you so much for joining us today. You're welcome. I'm going to write now about uh, Real Madrid again. So, oh, yeah? Uh, back here at the press conferences. Which it was uh, everything came together like podcast and then a press conference that ran out of time, of course, that run, run too long. So uh, anyway, back to writing about a Belgian player that doesn't uh, play a lot anymore and gets a chance tomorrow, I guess. <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> mm. There you go, Christophe Terreur. Next up, France. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. On Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Smart Speaker, and now ad-free on The Athletic, this is The Totally Football Show with James Richardson. Hey Jules, your friends Lorient, they're now up to second. One point behind Paris Saint-Germain. They had a 2-1 win at Brest this weekend. That's their sixth straight victory. Woof. Yeah, that never happened in their history. This is their best ever start, of course. We mentioned their, their young, very promising kind of modern coach in uh, Regis Lebris, of course, and they, they keep going. This was the derby against Brest. We saw, uh, first, a lot of fightings uh, on Sunday morning, 10 a.m. in uh, City Centre, that's what you do, uh, between Brest Ultras and Lorient Ultras. Uh, and then, thankfully, the game was much better, especially from a Lorient point of view, where literally everything is going their way. And, and it's been a, a breath of fresh air, really. And they will have tougher games, of course, but... It's a great start for them. They overtook Marseille, who lost for the first time this season against Ajaccio, which was a big surprise. But well done to um, to Lorient. OK. Meanwhile, at top football soap opera Paris Saint-Germain, Jules, last midweek, a 1-1 draw against Benfica, this weekend, a 0-0 draw with Reims, and then Mbappé posting stuff about the manager's tactics. Yeah, again, the, the, the famous pivot. You remember with the national team, he complained about the fact that he was playing as a... As a lone striker, if you want, as a pivot for PSG, and that's not why he wanted, and that's not why he was uh, sold on, and what he was told by the club, they said to him that they would play a striker up front, and then he can have a free role behind, I guess, with Messi, because Neymar at that time was, or the club wanted to sell Neymar. Neymar stayed, and Messi stayed, and there's no other number nine apart from the young Ekitike, who Galtier doesn't seem to trust. So Mbappe has to play in that position, but he's. He's grumpy about it. He's, as we always said, he's very good at putting those messages out on social media. We asked Galti the question today and he was almost apologising hmm. for playing Mbappe in that position, which I can just imagine how badly this is going down in the dressing room. So it's 
it's gonna go from bad to worse, big time. You can't make this shit up. <laughs> it's your club and you love it, Jules. Yeah, you love it. Big time. I, for one, am amazed that PSG's superstar squad has begun to show fracture lines once again. Nil-nil this weekend at Reims. Uh, they played just over half the match with 10 men after Sergio Ramos yep. managed to pick up two yellow cards in the space of 30 seconds. What did he say, Jules? He said, uh, madre, we can, we can, Oof. right? Which Galtier tried to explain that it's, it's an insult in Spanish that you can say, like, um, mm. um, in, in a global sense, doesn't right. have to be, to be targeted at one person. And I mm. think the referee maybe took it for himself. And, but you should not lose your temper and you shouldn't shout at the referee regardless of who you are or what you say. And it was right. Do you not do it, well. Jules? I may be used to when I was younger, but to a certain extent. But that was really silly and stupid. That's his 28th red card in his career, uh, which is a lot, of course. Uh, and and the, the big thing, really, it's not so much that game they drew, it was rubbish, they were rubbish, is that he's going to miss the Classic against Marseille, of course, next weekend. That's right. Coming up at the weekend, the big clash with PSG's biggest rivals... Wasn't just him though. Paris Saint-Germain allowing 24 shots in that game. That's the most they've conceded in the league for over a decade. Yeah, it was a shambles. Really, really bad. They had chances to win it, and they could have easily, they could have won it really, but it would not have been deserved. They didn't play well. I've got a few issues with the managers. Uh, I don't understand some of his decisions. How many weeks? How many weeks did that take? Not long. Today he asked for more variety. Well done, my friend. This is your freaking job. Why are you telling me? I've been saying it all season. Yeah, you can't just rely on Messi doing his magic on Neymar. By the way, Messi was missing that game and he's going to miss the Benfica game. It's what you work on. If you want more variety in your game and attack different ways and maybe you play with wingbacks, it's a good idea maybe to use them better. So Nuno Mendes is injured now on the left-hand side, which is a big blow because he had been with Neymar and Messi, the, the outstanding player in that team. So that's another big blow. So I wouldn't be surprised if it was like a, one of those crappy weeks where you lose to Benfica and then you lose to Marseille or something like that. Mm, my word. Benfica midweek, who held Paris Saint-Germain to a 1-1 draw last week at the Stadio de Luz. Both teams, though, uh, a significant distance ahead of Juve and Maccabi Haifa, so they have a bit of breathing room, even if they, they were to lose that game. And then Olympic next week, who, interesting week they've been having. Uh, we kind of wrote them off, I certainly did last week, in their clash at home with uh, a Sporting, but they, they, they beat them heavily in one of the shocks of round three. And then, as you mentioned, went and lost this weekend to Ajaccio. Oof. Yeah, Ajaccio, who had not won. I mean, this game would stay in the history of of Ligue 1, of Marseille, of course, because Dimitri Payet scored a penalty, which meant he became the first player in Ligue 1 history to, to score 100 goals and assist 100 goals as well, which is pretty amazing achievement, really. Um, the fact is, they lost that game against Ajaccio, who hadn't beaten anyone, I think, before, who uh, you should not lose to Ajaccio at the Velodrome in front of 60,000 fans anyway. Um, so that was a bad one, and, and it happened at the wrong time as well. We talked earlier, I think, about... Rafa was saying about... Um, Frankfurt losing a Bochum and the difficulty, of course, of playing two big Champions League games with, a, with one in between against a team that you should really beat. And, and I think maybe they were similar for Marseille. Mm. But this game away in Portugal now is going to be so, so big if they want to obviously keep their hopes 
alive to qualify for the last 16. Absolutely, they're currently uh, bottom of that group, but only one point behind Spurs and Frankfurt and only three points behind supporting themselves, who very much all to play for. As for Paris Saint-Germain, Benfica arriving at the Parc des Princes uh, on the back of 14 wins and two draws. This weekend, 4-2 was Benfica's scoreline over a mid-table Rio Ave. Did you by any chance see the remarkable performance from the Rio Ave goalkeeper in, in, in one of... Yeah, we should talk about Enzo Fernandez, who had a masterclass in that game. I mean, Rio have a rubbish, uh, and Benfica did. I don't think had to play well to win that game anyway. But Enzo Fernandez was something else on that pitch, and and we've said it before. This is not new, and he came with a big reputation from Argentina. But still, it's for ten million euros. It's a hell of a signing. He's not going to stay there for long. Uh, he's going to go to much bigger things very soon. And and again, like he did for patches in the in the game in, in Lisbon last week against PSG, I expect him to have a big game uh, tomorrow on Tuesday uh, at the Parc des Princes. All right. What did he do against Rio Ave, Jules? Just perfect. I think he he had 100% successful passes. Mm-hmm. And you would think, OK, maybe they were all like sideways or backwards. But he had he created three chances. He had four or five key passes, one or two assists. It was just like literally a masterclass, everything he did. And again, it was a, 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 bad, a very average opposition. But still, it was it was just every pass was perfect. The timing, the decision making, the weight on the ball, the the technical aspect, just every everything. It's rare that you see, again, even a great team against an average team. It's it's rare to see such a masterclass. And uh, I will I would like to add, James, that I'm sure that the manager Roger Smith is very happy deep inside about Rafa Silva having quitted the national team because he's fresh. And, uh, you know, the international break, he didn't play with Portugal. And uh, his form is phenomenal as well. I mean, he's so important in the counter-attacks of Benfica. Very good. Jules, anything else you want to add from Just Liga? a big shout-out to uh, Jean-Marc Furlan, the Ossa manager, who was sent off for showing his middle finger to, uh-huh. uh, to the Clermont fans, which I think is always a highlight on our show. Well done. And he did it twice. So first he did it once because they insulted him. What, both hands, Jules? So they? first one hand okay. got sent off. He thought... This is not enough. So then he turned around <laughs> after the red card on his way to the tunnel and did it with two hands and full respect. And after the game in his press conference, someone said to him, uh, why did you do that? How did you explain it? And he was like, you, you don't know me, you. You don't know me. Because if you knew me, you knew that I'm really badass when it comes to football. And today I was badass. And I just think like, yep. Yeah, brother. I like that. So, okay. Yeah, I, he said, I have nothing in my head. No, is that right? I you don't no know brain, me. Said, if you knew I'm me, I, I have no brain. Yeah, I am no quite yeah. <laughs> right. Which is, but he's a really good. I mean, he's a good coach. They haven't. His team hasn't won in six now. I think it's five defeats in one draw. So <laughs> they promoted. But he's good. He's a good coach. He's, he really is good coach. Okay. Uh, yes. He's from the south, so that explains maybe the brainless, uh, you know, part of his body that in Paris we don't have. However, uh, I thought it was still funny. That is right the opposite, James, of uh, Ander Herrera's send-off this weekend. I mean, uh, Ander Herrera sometimes he acts as if uh, he were in Buckingham Palace uh, with, the, uh, with the royalty and not uh, playing a football game. He was sent off against Sevilla in the last minute of the game. And uh, I think he did one of those professional cynical faults. And as soon as he was given the red card, uh, the card was upgraded via VAR. Uh, he shook the hand of the referee and he said, justo, justo, that's fair. And he left the... Uh, he left the pitch just, you know, with some dignity. I really did like that. And he gave us a point, of course. But what a, what a different way of accepting a red card. 
What a different way. We were talking about Sergio Ramos and whether it was fair him getting that red card. How about the booking for Adamola Lukman? I don't know if you saw this, but in Atalanta's clash with Udinese, <laughs> Adamola Lukman uh, scoring his, his third goal of the season, his second in, in two, and then found himself booked by the ref. And James, explain why? Well, Adamola did a Lukman celebration, so he just essentially raised some binoculars to his eyes you know, just yeah, telling this this new league, this new country, who he is. He is Lookman, <laughs> and yet the referee thought, "Oh, he's saying that my refereeing hasn't been good enough, and I've missed this, I've missed that. I'm booking him," um, because of course, the first thing that would go into his head when he's celebrating a goal is, "You know what? Rather than have this really wonderful moment for myself, I'm going to criticise mm. the referee." Um, so, the wonderful yeah. thing, he wasn't actually criticising the referee, but the referee duly did something that was truly worthy of criticism. <laughs> Bizarre. Surely the yellow card can be rescinded, no? Surely. Yeah, we'll see. The disciplinary committee will meet. Um, so you usually publish their findings on Tuesday or Wednesday, and we'll have to see whether it passes, uh, what is it, the adjudication panel. Right, so let's right. See. Okay. I mean, if they, if they follow that policy with Pedri, uh, mm. he's going to get a lot of bookings in La Liga because that is his trademark celebration exactly that one showing the binoculars there you yeah. go there you go one to watch well uh, that was part of a thrilling 2-2 draw between Udinese and Atalanta we'll get on to Syria next this is the Totally Football Show part of the Athletic Podcast Network Yeah, 2-2 draw between uh, surprise top three sides, Udinese and Atalanta, Sunday afternoon. The kind of standout fixture of the weekend, though, in City, I was Milan against Juventus, always a biggie this. And it was a 2-0 win for Milan. Both goals from, from players with a point to prove, James. Yeah, in, in Tamori's case, um, yeah, Tamori had had a, a pretty rough night um, coming back to Stamford Bridge to play against Chelsea. Um, you know, he uh, was deemed culpable certainly for that second goal um, with uh, Reese James's cross for for Aubameyang. Should have dealt better with it. Um, some felt he could have cleared uh, the first goal as well. And you know, I mean, he he did just put Milan in front against Juventus, which is something that he tends to do. Um, he's only scored twice in Italy. Both times have been against Juventus. And it was his defending as well. Um, although, when you're playing against Juventus that doesn't have Angel Di Maria, how much defending are you really going to get through? Uh, I thought he did quite a good job of chasing Vlajevic around, but really, Juventus created very little. Mm. Uh, and then Brahim Diaz. You know, Diaz was one of the big kind of selection uh, surprises from Stefano Pioli. Pioli went with a 4-3-3 instead of the 4-2-3-1 that he usually plays. De Ketele was on the bench. Brahim Diaz, who usually plays as a 10 and has his, had his place taken by De Ketele, played on the right. Um, and yeah, De Ketele steals the ball from Vlajevic uh, and then proceeds to run 50 metres past the uh, the statue of a once great defender, Leonardo Punucci. Um, and uh, it was finishes. a great run. To be fair, it was a it was a great run. Great run. I, I suppose you know Benucci wasn't the last man. Could have taken him out. Uh, you then had Milik making this kind of desperate tracking back run. He slides in. Could he have stayed on his feet? And then Chesney actually gets his hand to it. I mean, could Chesney have saved it? Um, but ultimately, two 0 for Milan. 
bounced back from the defeat to Chelsea, had Teo Hernandez back. I think that made a difference. He was missing at the Stamford Bridge. Um, and, the, you know, they're not going anywhere, the champions. Okay, Napoli have won eight games in a row. Um, but, you know, keep winning big games. Um, you know, Juventus being one and the Derby della Madonia being another one. And even when they lost to Napoli, they played very well. James, as an Italophile Brit, do you have sort of split loyalties? Not, not quite sure which King Charles to serve and to... God. <laughs> you mean De Ketelaer and, 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 and King Charles? Yeah. The reign of King Charles um, hasn't really started very well. Um, I'm, I'm not talking about the malfunctioning pen, um, but um, De Ketelaer, you know, sort of since his, his big move. There's already been some kind of facetious um, social media commentary of, of De Ketelaer. You know, he was welcomed as the new Kakar. He's actually the new Johan Gorkuf. Um, oh, Gorkuf was a good. Gorkuf yeah, was Gorkouf a wonderful, player, player, but his, yeah. his his move to Milan didn't work out. Um, it's still too early to write off De Ketelaer. Um, I think. I th- uh, but the thing is, I've just seen Stefano Pioli's press conference out of the Chelsea game, and De Ketelaer won't feature. Apparently, picked up an injury, and so. But I think. It, it felt like the kind of right time to just take him out of the limelight a little bit, go up, go away, Charles, work a little bit on in training, and then we'll reintegrate you maybe a few in, in, in a week or so's time. Because, yeah, I think the scrutiny was coming becoming quite intense of his performances. Okay, what did you learn from Stefano Pioli's press conference about what kind of Milan is going to be hosting Chelsea then on Tuesday evening, James? Well, that they they'll have Teo back. Um, you know, Teo captained the team against Juventus at the weekend. Played a quite interesting role as as as, as yeah. We, it's kind of fascinating about Pioli. You know, three years in, he still finds new ways to surprise you. Had Teo again, kind of coming in from left back and playing in midfield. Pobega going pushing up and and sort of stopping uh, Manuel Locatelli from influencing the game for for Juventus. You wonder if he'll try something a little bit similar when they play against Chelsea, play with an extra man in midfield um, rather than playing 4-2-3-1. But they just need to make fewer mistakes um, and and get not just Leao going, but Teo going as well. Because you know that left side, when both of those players are on, on form, are uh, really, really strong. And uh, I suppose just going back to the first goal that they conceded, you know, it's a corner kick. Uh, and Thiago Silva got the ball in, in, in three corner kicks back-to-back in the air. He, he went up and won it every time. They've just got to be better, I think, from, from set pieces as well. All right. It's very tight in the group. Salzburg leading. Just a point behind them are Chelsea and Milan, with Chelsea in second place, and then Dinamo Zagreb in fourth. Uh, Michael Cox on Thursday felt that both sides were rubbish at Stamford Bridge. He said he was tremendously disappointed by the game. It takes a lot to impress Cox. That's true. That is true. I bet he was impressed, though. Well, in fact, he said he was, with Napoli's performance away at Ajax. They'll be hosting the side from Amsterdam on Wednesday, having beaten Cremonese at the weekend with a flurry of goals late on, 4-1 the final score there. This Napoli side, hey, James, something quite remarkable. Yeah, you know, the weekend, that was quite a tough old game against Cremonese. Um, you know, Raf and Jules have alluded to it earlier about, you know, kind of the difficulty of these sides that have finished third or fourth, um, you know, sort of doing well in Europe on a Tuesday and Wednesday and then disappointing 
in in the league on on a Saturday or a Sunday, and instead, you know, Napoli. I remember when they beat Liverpool, they had to play Spezia, and Raspadori ended up scoring the only goal of the game in the 89th minute. And you know, against Cremonese, they they took the lead, but then they conceded a goal, and they uh, they ended up not kind of taking the lead again until 15 minutes from the end and scored a couple of goals in stoppage time to make it 4-1. So it looked like an easier win than it was, but they got the job done. Yeah, their substitutes keep making the difference as well. You know, I mean, they've had 12 different goal scorers this season. Simeone, you know, he would have probably fancied himself when Osimhen got injured that I'm going to be the guy who starts for Napoli now. But Raspadori's had a really good, um, done a really good job filling in for him to the point where you think, how's Osimhen going to go back in? And Simeone, Meanwhile, he's kind of kept on working at it and keeps scoring off the bench. Scored off the bench against Liverpool, against Rangers, again against Cremonese. So, yeah, it's really impressive. Mm. They are top of the table, two points clear of Atalanta, with Udinese still third level on points with Milan. Down the other end, just a quick shout for Monza, who are not even down the other end anymore. Until about three weeks ago, they were bottom of the pile, but they're now up in 12th after three straight wins. Technically, this is three wins out of three for rookie manager Rafael Palladino, but we all know who's really in charge at Monza, eh, James? <laughs> yeah, Silvio really should be, I guess, you know, he should, I mean, Italy would be in the World Cup uh, if Silvio was in charge. <laughs> uh, Milan would have beaten Chelsea uh, were, were, were Silvio in charge. And, and certainly, yeah, I mean, Monza are where they wanted to be at the start of the season. You know, after winning in the playoffs against Pisa, you know, Berlusconi kind of said, I want to be in the Champions League next year. Uh, and they went and spent more money than any other team in Italy in the summer. Um, and Galliani kind of talked him down and said, oh, Silvio, Silvio, come on, it's not one of your parties. It's, yeah, let's, <laughs> let's just, let's let's be sensible about this. 12, 12 or 14th will be good. And they're up in 12th and they've won three games in a row. And Raffaele Palladino, who was promoted with no experience of working in senior football, either in top flight or in the second or third division, has won three straight games, three straight clean sheets um, as well. Um, and yeah, another Gasparini disciple kind of shows that they've got the special something um, to, to, to be a good coach in Serie A. So we'll see how long it lasts. But um, yeah, they've gone from looking like the most overhyped newly promoted team to actually living up to that that hype so uh, long may it continue indeed all right there you go well that's the state of play around uh, Europe's top leagues big matches on the way this weekend and of course midweek do hope you'll be enjoying those on Thursday Totally Football Show will return to round up the Tuesday and Wednesday action and look ahead to some of the key games at the weekend for now Many thanks to Jules, Rafa, James, Alvaro. We'll catch up again next Tuesday. Look forward to that myself. Have a great time in the meanwhile. Thanks to producer Charlie. Thanks to you, listener. Cheers, mate. And have a great time until we speak again. You've been listening to The Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Listen ad-free on the Athletic app and discover bonus content by following the Athletic UK Audio Plus on Apple Podcasts. Find out the very latest subscription offers at theathletic.com slash totally. The Athletic.